Hey team, just today in the office, I had a pregnant patient come up to me and say, Hey Dr. Chapa, listen, I'm glad everything checked out well, but I'm really concerned because this baby just keeps moving so much. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, normally we get so preoccupied and so concerned about the decreased perception of fetal movement that we tend to forget the flip side of that coin, which is increased fetal movement. Now, before we brush that off aside and go, well, that's kind of dumb. I mean, that just means the baby's happy and healthy and everything's fine. But is there data that that potentially could be worrisome? What do we do with increased fetal movement? Is that a harbinger of adverse fetal outcome? Well, there's an answer to that. Yep, in this session, we're going to cover a soon-to-be-released article from the American Journal of OBGYN. It just was released online at the end of April 2022 and hasn't even gone out to print yet. Ready? So let's cover the increased fetal movement perception by a patient, and does that mean something harmful or not? Let's get to that now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, before we get into this issue of increased fetal movement, you know, we just have to put to bed this issue of decreased fetal movement because a lot has changed and we've done podcasts on this. Remember that historically the norm was to tell patients to monitor kick counts or movement counts until the baby moved at least 10 times per hour. But that was just a problem. Everybody used a different number per hour. Some used eight, some used four, some used 10, some used 20. And so there was no standard definition of what was a, quote, normal kick count, end quote. Well, since the AFFIRM trial came out, we now have data that the absolute number of a movement isn't actually important at all. What's most important is the overall perception, just the awareness of fetal movement, and that the mother pay attention to what's her baseline and any deviation of that baseline rather than a set number of movements or kicks per hour. That's what matters. So it's overall feeling or overall awareness versus a set number. And that's why we don't do kick counts anymore. Now, remember that that whole issue of kick counts historically was to find out if the baby failed to hit a certain threshold. In other words, if it had decreased movement, but there was no maximum number that was assigned. In other words, there was no warning sign of what an increased fetal kick count would be. Because historically, we said, well, increased movement is a good thing. That's a sign of reassurance. But is it ever been linked? Has it ever been shown to be a cause of fetal injury? Oh, you can just see it, can't you? Right, You're sitting in that chair. You're nervous as can be. You're taking your oral boards for the American Board of OBGYN. And one examiner hits you with the question on decreased fetal movement. Easy. Boom. You take out your firm card. You start talking about perception versus kick counts. And you're feeling good. And then, of course, the other examiner goes, what about increased fetal movement? Well, that's exactly how it goes. And that's why we're covering this. Because the data is actually both scary but reassuring at the same time. So let's do the scary part first. 
Back in 2018, Alexander et al. published a possible theory, okay? This literally is a theory. It was published in a journal called Medical Hypothesis. There's a journal called Medical Hypothesis. Seriously, I mean, it's like an app, right? There's an app for everything. Man, there's a journal for everything. Well, the title of that article is pretty startling and eye-catching. It's, quote, excessive fetal movements are a sign of fetal compromise which merits further examination, end quote. Now, if you're thinking, well, who cares what they say, right? I mean, it's a hypothesis. It's a theory. It's not real. But wait a minute. There's more. Because this article actually followed a previous publication that actually stated that before fetal death, when patients were asked what did they feel, they most reported a single increased episode of increased fetal movement. Now, remember, obviously, that's linked with trauma and there's mental issues there. They're emotionally liable and they're asking, well, what did you feel? And so it's unclear the validity of this recall, but there was an article that said that a single episode of increased fetal movement likely preceded the stillbirth event. But remember, article had a lot of issues, but that's why this medical theory came on that foundation. It, it was built on that first level of evidence, shaky as it was, that increased fetal movement could be a harbinger of something bad. Now, back to the 2018 article, back to this medical hypothesis journal. Here's what the authors kind of put together. They presented a hypothesis that a sudden episode of excessive fetal activity likely indicated fetal compromise relating to some underlying disturbance of the in utero environment. Now, remember, this is talking about one single episode of abrupt movement that was different than something else. So we're not talking about increased movement over days. This was one weird movement that patients recalled after they were diagnosed with an intrauterine fetal demise. So here's what the author said, quote, The origin of this excessive fetal movement is unknown, but it could represent, and that's the key word, could, not does. It could represent fetal seizures induced by asphyxia or some unknown infection. It could be an attempt to release cord entanglement, or it could be a change in fetal behavior, likely due to some sort of fetal distress. Now, remember, there's no proof of this. This is just a theory. I told you this is pretty scary. And so the authors go on to say this abrupt, sudden onset of weird movement could be a response to noxious stimuli. They go on to say, quote, current evidence regarding excessive fetal movements is sparse, and there's currently no guidance regarding how reporting of the symptom might relate to a fetus at risk and which management might reduce the risk of subsequent stillbirth, but it does require further evaluation, end quote. Now, I got to tell you, I don't like it. I don't like this article. It's just a theory. And all I think it's going to do is really freak out patients that some weird movement of the baby means the baby's in trouble. Well, that's exactly what the rest of the medical community thought when this article came out. So on the one hand, they're like, well, interesting theory. Thank you for the contribution. And on the other hand, they're like, well, that's going to do nothing but freak people out. Because as the authors stated themselves, remember, there's no management plan of what we do with increased pseudo movement. So that's the scary part. But now let's get into this recent 2022, again, just at the end of April, this new publication that's just about to come out, which is not so scary and is much more reassuring. 
Okay, so the lead author on this new study is Gal Cohen, that's last name C-O-H-E-N, and the article title is, quote, Are Increased Fetal Movements During Pregnancy a Predictor of Neonatal Adverse Outcomes? End quote. Remember, this is in the Gray Journal, the American Journal of OBGYN. The authors of this new publication come from two great publishing houses. The first is Tel Aviv University out of their medical school, and the second is out of Cork Maternity in Cork, Ireland. If you've never been to Cork Maternity Hospital, it's fantastic, it's beautiful, and it's historic. A lot of great publications have come out of Cork, Ireland. So remember, Tel Aviv University and Cork, Ireland. This study was not a randomized trial, because how are you going to randomize this? Nor was it prospective, because that would take forever. Some studies have to be done by a retrospective design, just by its nature. So I know you're thinking, oh great, it's retrospective, it's no good. No, that's not true at all. Some population-based studies, you have to look retrospectively, because it's the only way to capture the data. So I think that's totally fine. This was a retrospective cohort study that included singleton pregnancies who delivered in a tertiary referral hospital from 2014 to 2020. That's a long spread. Patients who presented to the OB triage area with a single isolated complaint of increased fetal movement that were greater than 24 weeks were compared to a control group for those patients who had routine fetal assessment during pregnancy and had a complaint of something else with no altered fetal movement. In other words, they were there for pelvic pain or possible SROM or vaginal bleeding, discharge, whatever, but they didn't complain of increased fetal movement. Patients presenting with reduced fetal movements during their pregnancies were also excluded because that had been addressed many times before, and that wasn't the focus of this review. Everybody good? Increased fetal movement compared to those who had regular movement when they presented to triage at an EGA of greater than 24 weeks. Check out these numbers. Overall, over 43,000 women were in the entire study cohort. But out of those, only 282, or 0.65%, presented with that chief complaint of increased fetal movement. Like, I don't know what Junior's doing in there, but it's really messing me with me because it's moving a lot. That's 065 Then, that study population had a primary outcome evaluated. That primary outcome was a severe composite adverse neonatal outcome of sepsis, respiratory distress, mechanical ventilation needs, cerebral injury, anemia, blood transfusion, or intrapartum death. The secondary outcome was a mild composite of adverse outcomes that included hypoglycemia, need for phototherapy, neonatal hypothermia, meconium aspiration syndrome, or a need for non-invasive ventilation, or having an umbilical cord pH less than 7.1. Okay, I told you this was going to be more reassuring, and here it is. After all the analysis and all the dust settles, there were no differences found between the groups, remember, increased fetal movement and normal fetal movement, in terms of either the severe or mild composites for any adverse neonatal outcome. That's really reassuring. And no, there was not any increased risk of intrapartum fetal death. All right, team, I've got to say it because this is the most reassuring part. And this is exactly what I told my patient today in the office. I said, look, the data show that those who had experienced increased fetal movement compared to those who had routine fetal movement had no increase in the rate of umbilical cord complications. There was no difference in the cases of cord around the neck or around the body or around the body and the neck or of true knots. 
there was also no cases of stillbirth or intrapartum death. And I've already said that, but it's got to be said again because that's very reassuring for patients. No cases of stillbirth or intrapartum fetal death were found in the increased fetal movement group. Now, here's an interesting aside as a side finding. That increased fetal movement was more likely to be perceived by patients that were nulliparous. And that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, they've never been pregnant before. They have nothing to compare it to. They have no baseline of what's normal or not. So they're going to think that any kind of movement is increased fetal movement. They also found in this study that there was no association between placental location and fetal movement. Yeah, that was a thing. I mean, there's some evidence, although it's weak, that anterior placentation gives a decreased perception of fetal movement because somehow it's a buffer right to the abdominal wall. It makes sense. It's not strong data, but there is data that anterior placentation can lead to decreased fetal movement perception. But again, not like real scientific. It's more of a correlation than a true causation. But once again, the big take home is that maternal perception of increased fetal movement does not seem to be associated with adverse neonatal outcomes. So I gave the patient this information and said, look, baby's moving a lot. Great. I consider that a sign of reassurance. If you ever notice something weird, I mean, some really weird movement and then there's nothing going on, especially if there's something else like a strong uterine pain or strong abdominal pain, vaginal bleeding, anything else, and just let us know. But the issue of isolated increased fetal movement seems to be a reassuring thing. Oh, just wait. In two years, some of the other data will be out that will undo this one. But this is where we are right now in May of 2022. As always, we're thankful for you. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.